0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning, good day, good evening. Good to be back with you. And um, Today I'd like to offer a few reflections on part two of a three-part series that I'm offering for this group on careless and profound attention, or um, careless versus wise attention. And the terminology there in Pali is ayoniso manasikara and yoniso manasikara. So that's where we're going and just to say that I'm, t- I'm going to be talking more about a little bit about the sensory world today and sen- what are called sort of sensual contacts. And in the past, those of you who have been here for a while know that um, I've offered a number of teachings explaining how our senses can be our allies. They really can. They can help us stay present and stay grounded. And that's absolutely true. And there's a flip side. They can be a trap, these sensory contacts, these sensual kinds of things we experience in life. If the moment of liking or not liking, a pleasant or not pleasant isn't seen, isn't understood with mindfulness, sometimes even if it is, but especially if it isn't, it can be a hook. It can hook right in. To all kinds of things, stories wanting more, identity. I see nodding. That's right. We've all experienced this, all of us, me included. So, we're going to talk about navigating that with wise versus careless attention for just a little bit today and then get your experiences and insights. So, I'll start with a story from the discourses, and it's the story of the hapless monkey. Hapless monkey. So I don't know if any of you have been to India. I have. There are monkeys in a lot of places, a lot more places, a lot more places than in most of Europe or the United States. They're kind of everywhere. And apparently that was kind of true in ancient India, too. Um, And so the Buddha told a story of how there are these different natural environments, some of which nobody, monkey or human, can go to because they're so rugged, so difficult. And then there's a lot of environments that monkeys can just roam freely, branch to branch, rock to rock, but it's too rough for humans, right? And then there's the natural landscape where both can inhabit. And he talks about how a wise monkey will pay extra special attention when in that kind of habitat, because the humans tend to lay traps for the monkeys, right? The hapless monkey, the careless monkey, the monkey with careless attention doesn't recognize this and wanders along and finds itself intrigued by this delicious something. Let's call it first smell delicious, then taste delicious, right? And wanders over and puts its hand out, and it gets stuck. Now, I don't know about you, but the equivalent of this has happened to me. I get stuck on chocolate on a regular basis, right? Um, The monkey stuck to this board, it turns out, does the most natural thing in the world. It puts its other hand out to try to pry the first hand off, but then what happens? Double stuck. So then the poor thing puts its against the board to try to pry the hands off. And the foot gets stuck. And then the other foot gets stuck. And in desperation, the poor monkey slaps its muzzle against the board to try to pry the rest of itself off. And then it's stuck at all five points. Hand, hand, foot, foot, nose. Very unpleasant. And it's not good for this poor hapless monkey unless someone, another creature comes along to rescue it. Otherwise it's stuck. Right. So the Buddha talks about this in terms of the five contexts hand, hand, foot, foot, nose represent what he calls the five cords or five bonds, ties of sensuality. And those are visual, seeing, what is heard, what is smelled, what is tasted, and what's experienced by the body touch, right? Internal and external. So we too at times get stuck, right? And I'm not going to go through every single one and give exhaustive examples or anything, but how many of us are um, influenced by beauty versus not beauty or ugliness? In a view, in an environment, in a person or an animal. It's remarkable how influenced we can be and how many decisions many people make based on something as simple as, oh, that looks better than that. And then our minds being what they are, these fantastic prefrontal cortexes we have come up with all these justifications and reasons and layers and stories. And it's really just about, oh, that view is better than that view, or that place is prettier than that place. Same thing can happen with sounds. I I don't know how much you could hear from my microphone in the meditation, but I was getting quite a symphony of like little bird songs and tweets and then crows. Most of us have a preference, right? Between those two sounds, let alone the industrial sounds or the car sounds or the bleeping or whatever. And it's fine to have the preference, but then if I get hooked into, oh, there should be crows here. Why are there crows here? It's like a sign of impending catastrophe that there's so many crows here. You can see we're off to the races, right? Smell, same kind of thing. I already mentioned taste. Um, this time of year is particularly dangerous for me. This is a true confession. Um, I don't have a whole lot of sensual kind of hooks, but um, Halloween time, there's something about, it's a particular candy that reminds me of being a little kid and going trick or treating. And there's all these like positive mental associations. So if I walk into a pharmacy this time of year, it is like a battle with my like internal kid as to whether or not candy corn ends up in the cart right? This is not highbrow. (laughs) And how many of us have been there, right? It's that moment. And then that hook in this case, it's not so much about the taste of it. I mean, the taste is fine. It's good. It's all of these associations and the identity of having been this little kid and this costume and the happy memories and like all of that gets laden onto this poor, Innocent, well, maybe not so innocent, like piece of sugar fluff, basically, right? (laughs) That most of us, by the time we're adults, wear around our waists once we consume, right? So, taste. And then body. Well, gosh, that's a huge one, right? So, there's the obvious. Um, I'm going to read actually from this is from the ancient poems of the enlightened bhikkhunis, the first enla- ordained Buddhist women. And this is by a woman named Siha. And she says, pained by distracted attention and by desire for sex, I was always disturbed without any control over my thoughts, acting on thoughts of happiness overcome by defiling compulsions. I had no peace of mind controlled by a mind bent on excitement. So this is her perspective after the fact. And she later ordained and it's not in this poem, but it's kind of the backstory. Her family was actually kind of relieved when she was ordained because it wasn't just sex. It was like all of this central context. She was just like, caught up in hedonism and her own beauty, and really unhappy and being led around. And maybe some of you know people like this. I've certainly met a few when I was a teenager, maybe I was a little out of control. And when she finally gave over, she talked about the moment she really understood. In her desperation, her mind flipped, and she was free. Now, she'd been practicing for years at that point. It's not like she just went around running around from one central desire to another and then boom. But she had that shift of attention. And that shift of attention, that is the profound attention, the wise attention. That's what helps us unstick, unstick from the trap. Right. So unsticking and safety, this freeing attitude, Yoniso Manasikara, this profound attention is linked with other Buddhist teachings that all of you've probably heard kinda often. The four noble truths. First, there's suffering, and the noticing the arising of suffering. What what causes it? Noticing the ending of a bit of suffering, and discovering the path to the ending. So that's part of it, is this kind of freedom can happen even when we're firmly in the clutches of a hindrance or a bunch of hindrances, right? Sensual desire, ill will, rigidity and frozenness or restlessness and worry, even doubt that moment of shift can happen. And the Buddha talks about this as returning to our ancestral homeland, our birthright. Our pasture actually is the original literal translation of the word gochare. And that pasture, that way to the freedom is through practicing awareness in the four foundations. Of mindfulness, four foundations for awareness noticing body, awareness of the body, awareness of what's pleasant and unpleasant, feeling, noticing the attitude, quality, mood of the heart and mind, and practicing within, noticing. Thoughts as arising thoughts and emotions as arising emotions and as events in time. That's the unsticking process. So he really encourages his practitioners, stick to your own habitat, your own gochare, your own pasture, your own resort, your ancestral homelands. And there's another story about this I I like. Sometimes these stories in the ancient discourses remind me of fables from other cultures, um, and this is one of them. This is about the hawk and the quail. And as the story opens, the poor quail is already in the hawk's talons, and the hawk is flying away with it, off to uh, you know what hawks do. I have to get into that. And the the quail is courageously bemoaning to the hawk oh i shouldn't have left my own pastures i shouldn't have left my own homeland i got myself in trouble and now i'm going to die and the hawk is you know, strong and confident and you know very fast and he said little quail it's not going to make a difference it's not going to make a difference i have you i'm going to get you again if you if you're in your own pastures and said, here, I'll show you. So they have this little dialogue, and the quail and the hawk decide, and this is kind of like a lot of chutzpah for this quail, right? You know, they decide. The hawk flies it back to its own little habitat and lets it go just for a moment or two with the idea of swooping back down and getting it again. Kind of cruel, right? Well, the quail knows what it's doing. It makes a beeline for a big clod of dirt in this pasture and hides inside or beneath it. The poly is not totally clear. And so the hawk comes swooping down and what does it do instead of grabbing the quail? It hits the clod. And like it's stunned or, or something and ends up like kind of limping off. <laughs> quail, perfectly safe. So... The analogy, the the simile that the Buddha draws here is that the quail, like the meditator, has returned to the four foundations of mindfulness, returned to one's own ancestral homeland. And to me, what I like about this story, other than the fact that it's a little cheeky and like a lot of other legends, is that it really highlights that even when we're in the clutches of a hindrance, even when we're fully hooked, that shift of profound attention, that changes everything. We can get let go, we can find safety, protection, shelter. Even if it's just for a moment, it can make a difference. So that domain, the four foundations of mindfulness, And that shift of attention is the profound attention of Yoniso Manasikara. Wise attention? And like that quail, each of us can be in dialogue with what traps us. And by this, I don't mean trying to think our way out of something. Occasionally that works, but mostly, mostly from a meditative perspective, a Buddhist perspective, it's really hard to think yourself out of a problem that often one has thought oneself into to begin with, right? So it's taking another perspective and this profound attention is coming from the embodied perspective, like what is actually happening right now? My mind wants chocolate ice cream. I check in with my body, body not remotely hungry. Okay, there's a difference here right? So, we can start to have that conversation, even in cases of addiction, that arising of an impulse. I am so impressed by my friends and by the students I've run across, other practitioners who have come in to practice through the doorway of addiction. That is powerful, to be able to to have to learn, to watch an impulse arise and watch it go away. It's like, wow, it goes away whether I act on it or not. How amazing is that? So this arising and passing away is actually something really profound. Watching an impulse come and watching it go. How many times have we been Convinced we need a blah, and I'm talking about an object or a taste or a, an experience or whatever. And then two hours later, two weeks later, two years later, can we even remember what it is? Right? So, noticing the arising and passing away of these, this is the beginning of and well into. Profound and wise attention. I have another quote from this book I've been quoting a lot recently The Practice of Mindfulness Will Change You. This is experienced practitioners of the root teacher for this group, Sayado Utejaniya. And this is a practitioner writing, and they've been practicing for a while now. The question, the prompt is What changes have taken place because of my practice? And one of the things this young American person says is, I have seen that there are different kinds of happiness. In the past, I only knew the happiness gained from indulging in the pleasures of the senses, including the pleasure of the mind-sense door from intellectual stimulation. Through meditation, I've been able to experience more sublime kinds of happiness or peace And the happiness of understanding even just a little bit about the nature of reality. It's hard to describe these kinds of happiness to someone who hasn't experienced them. And of course, I still find plenty of happiness through the senses and at times get swept away. But now I'm more inclined to let go of them and to allow the other kinds of happiness to develop and mature. Isn't that nice? So one of the subtler forms of happiness that can really nourish the practice, for example, is contentment. I don't know, making It's almost making a decision to be content, rather than this constant drumbeat of our advertising culture of get more of this, get more of that, you'll be happy when you have this, get that, get get the other thing. To focus on the simplicity of contentment with what's already there, what's here. A moment of sunshine or fog on my face. Being in a still relatively safe place if we are. A moment or two of free time to meditate, that's rare, historically, for people. So to flip the script to noticing what's present and savoring it, being content with it. All of these kinds of happiness are onward leading, as is the shift to the wise attention itself, even when there's not forms of happiness that are onward leading. The Buddha named that one of the key conditions for his complete and total liberation was this profound attention, right? So we hear a lot about the heroic stories of the meditating and meditating and, you know, I'll sit until my bones dissolve. Also, it was learning to appreciate wholesome, pleasant, content mental states within, It was noticing how to shift from being hooked to being present. Yoniso Manusikara. And Buddha also talks about how, this is another story of his. Again, ancient India, this is a jungle this time. And a tracker, a skilled tracker is out for whatever reason, hunting or gathering. And finds this ancient path completely overgrown with vines and weeds and undergrowth in the jungle. And the skilled tracker follows the path to the ruins of a beautiful ancient city. And in this story, it might unfold quite differently today with modern archaeology, but in the story, the tracker goes to the king of the realm and says, Look what I found. And The powers that be renovate it to where it's again a functioning, thriving town, enjoyed by many. And that vibrancy, that prosperity, is a kind of analogy for the inner wealth that's available when we follow this ancient path the Buddha discovered. He did not claim to invent it, the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths. And this profound path is walked by, powered by wise attention, profound attention, and by conditionality. And conditionality is a huge topic. I've talked about it before, I'll talk about it again. But just to say very briefly, two forms I've already touched on in this talk. If this arises, that arises. If that Passes away, this passes away. Arising and passing, just noticing. Impulse comes and goes. Craving comes and goes. If contentment arises, craving subsides. Right? And the second form is, again, the four noble truths. First, there's the fact of suffering. Then there's the noticing the arising of it, the ending of it and the path to the ending of it, and the noticing conditions, the ability for the end, and the ability to walk the path. So this path to freedom is greatly aided by this profound attention. And to recap, this careless attention, we can even call it hapless attention in honor of that poor monkey, right? There's such a difference. It's all about how we're relating to experience, these sense experiences. Is it in a careless way or this conscious profound way? And if it's in a conscious profound way, even if we stay hooked, the sludgy parts, the difficult parts, become compost and nutrition for the growth of wisdom and freedom under the light of this profound attention. So, enclosing the sensual world can be an ally or a trap, depending on how we pay attention to it. This shift to embodied presence, to profound attention, is key. And I encourage you, friends, to trust, deeply trust, that this is onward leading to freedom. Thank you, for your kind attention. Thank you for your presence, your kind attention, your words and your silence. I appreciate all of it. And um, may our practice here together be a cause and condition for greater awareness, profound attention, contentment, freedom in our own lives and in the lives of everyone we touch. May these benefits ripple outwards and outwards. May all beings be happy. May all beings be safe from harm and causing harm. And may all beings know the highest joy and peace of freedom. Thank you, everyone. Be well until we see each other again. And if you care to tune in next week, there will be part three of this three-part series. Mm -hmm. Take care. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. See you next week.